You know, plug it out and plug it in, plug it, what? <laughs> I said the old unplug it, plug it back in ah, again. Ah, the old but plug it back in again, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're not allowed to make me laugh. <laughs> it makes me cough. Oh, uh, yes, technical difficulties getting off to the start. That wow, was solved. We're, we're screwed. I think are we our gonna, brains are broken. Do we need to do this opening again? Yes. We're just going to proceed. I can't see New York. <laughs> I can't see the point of doing it again. <laughs> uh, here we are in Denver. It's hot. Y'all, it's, it's hot. So hot. But we're very, very pleased because we have just this morning done our last flight before <sighs> we head home Heaven. in two weeks' time. And we're just so pleased about that that we yeah. don't have to pack up our bags in a way that makes sense for an airport because that's not how it works when you're living out of a car. Exactly, and doesn't, isn't too heavy and doesn't have too many things. And Well, we have a lot of things. P.S. Um, if you are still trying to distinguish mine and Michael's voices, <laughs> listen for how both of us say the word because. Because. <laughs> you say because. Because. Yeah. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a lazy talker. No, I like it. No, but that's like an accent thing. Oh, right. You because. say because versus because. All right. Yeah. So we'll just start every sentence with because. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> and <laughs> then people will know who's you talking. Hi, I'm Michael Earp. And I'm Bailey Turner. Welcome to Michael's Walk, the podcast. Michael's Walk is a road trip, a search for something. Spoilers, it's myself. And it was inside all along. If only it were that simple. Driven by Tori Amos's album, Scarlet's Walk, I'm recreating the journey Scarlet took in its 20th anniversary year. I'll also be there. With the loving and patient, always patient, support of Bailey and Teague Lee, three trans queers set out across America. That's 33 states in 55 days. To connect with the songs, the land that inspired them, and the fans inspired by the songs. We'll talk music, travel, healing, and hope as we ask the questions, how do I heal from 15 years of coercive control and manipulation? And what role does the music we listen to play in our own relationship narratives? We've self-produced this podcast and trip. You can support us via GoFundMe. For the full story, head to michaelerb.net. So we rolled into New York sort of quite late and it took a little while to return the car and we hadn't, mm. we, it was, we were all looking forward to it because it was, we were it was a bit of a two-edged sword because we were looking forward to it because it was New York and it was all very exciting and it was the first time I'd ever been uh, and we had a good three days, three nights, four days there? Four, four nights. Four five nights, days. five days. Like, it's a really good chunk of time there. Um, however, it was also our last chunk of time with Teague. Yeah. Oh, when I say four nights, it's like we got there at... In, yeah, we got there in the evening. At like 8pm. So it wasn't five whole days. And then we left at like nine in the morning. So, so it was really four nights, four days. Starring Anne Hesh and Harrison Ford. Four nights, three days even. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we had three full days in New York is what we're trying to say. Um, I'm so sorry, everybody. We're, we're very addled. Adult we brain. are. Like, Even our two-hour nap today hasn't caught us up entirely. Yeah. I think and we slept on the plane. We did. I think we're sort of acknowledging that we're hitting a fair bit of burnout at this point, which is 
you know, now's the time because we're about to go through a really lovely and more peaceful week ahead of the travel. And we're nearly at the end of week six. I mean, burnout is to be expected. Absolutely. I think we've done pretty well, all things considered. So the Scarlet map shows that I can't see New York was written on a flight from Boston to New York, according to Scarlet's journey. We're going to use it to focus on our time in New York mm. and reflect on what we could see, what we did see mm. or didn't see, so to speak. And just that, I think it did create a really big change to perspective, which I suppose is what the song is all about, is it's a change to perspective on what New York is as an idea. And obviously the song has such a, a potent message about the September 11 um, destruction of the two towers and the other plane that crashed intended for the Pentagon. And, you know, the, it, it resonated the world over that New York was seen as this impenetrable, indestructible, you know, pinnacle well, of Western America society. in general, but yeah. yeah. And for something like that to happen was so unfathomable and it changed everyone's understanding about how vulnerable we really all are. So I think that absolutely was the journey that we each had. Um, that recognition of vulnerability was a, was a big part of our journey. So we're going to talk about our own version of that. Mm. Um, and just for context, for those who are less familiar with Tori, um, she was in New York mm. at the time of the September 11 attacks and had to uh, sort of process all of that. And so this song is about her processing that. Mm. And then it turned out that she was also, um, she was also the first performer on the Jimmy. F it was um, Jimmy Johnny, show? no, Johnny Carson, I think it was. Johnny Carson show. I'm Googling it. <laughs> A week after the attacks and so it was it was quite a big I think it might have been Letterman actually are we editing out that whole bit and we'll start it again no it's fine <laughs> I'll figure it out where you you're you're on this journey with yeah us. it was it was David Letterman yeah and she performed time by oh. Tom Waits yeah. uh, and she felt a great responsibility in being the first musician to perform after because the show had gone on hiatus for a couple of uh, mm. a short time and um understandably so and yeah I, that's a if you haven't seen the clip of it yet it's so powerful um we'll pop it on our insta stories respectively because it's just yeah. an incredible and I'll put performance it, to watch put it on the podcast show notes page i think we were gonna actually talk about just a bit of a remembrance of where we were when it happened and kind yeah. of what were, the, what were our kind of key memories? How old were you? And I was 17. Yeah. And because we're in Australia, I was asleep when it took place. I woke up to uh, my mother saying that, like, America's been under attack and then saw the footage of it and then just had to go to school. Mm. And everyone at school was talking about it, as you can understand. And I, I didn't know how to process it at all. It was very overwhelming for me, even though I felt so removed from it. Like I didn't have a 
connection with America in particular, personally. I, we didn't know anyone there, but it was just such a big thing that I found myself actively avoiding all discussion of it for the entire day. And then I believe I, that's, that was my coping mechanism going forward. I, I just couldn't deal. And part of what I'm doing with this project is I'm going over a lot of what I wrote in my teenage years and my 20s. And while we were driving, I found and read to Bailey uh, a journal entry I wrote on the one year anniversary, September 11, 2002. And I was still in this place where it was way too big a thing to process. And I, whenever I did try and think of it, I would just cry and not know. I felt really helpless about the entire situation. And so I would just cry. Like that, mm. most of the journal entry was just me crying about it and not wanting to disturb my ex with my crying, so keeping it to myself. And and then, like, the journal entry got super creepy for other reasons, but... Um, yeah, which I'm sure we'll discuss at some point. Yeah. How about you? Well, that was a lot yeah, a bit younger. I was 11. So I had this... The distinct memory I had was that I was... I could hear... I was getting dressed for school and I could hear, like, a bit of commotion in the kitchen, so I went out to the lounge room where my stepmom was in the kitchen making stuff for lunches and I was tying my shoes on the couch and it was on TV. When I, you know, being that young, I didn't really understand mm. what it was about. I just knew that it was really serious because it was causing my stepmom so much dismay and my parents were talking about it so actively and that kind of fascinated me. It was like, something's really bad and I don't really know what it is. Um, yeah, it was the same for me. Like, we went to school and everyone... The, the the thing that really sticks in my mind as well is we actually had a girl in our class who was American. Mm. And the first thing that kind of happened at school was obviously you sit down and everyone, you know, the bell goes and everyone comes in and everyone's, you know, doing what they're doing. And all I remember is that the teacher started the day by saying, Mallory won't be at school today. And that was that was the moment that we re that it kind of sunk in like mm. oh like <laughs> this is how you know how deeply it's affecting people and over i think i've been kind of sheltered from what it really even was all about because i was so young at the time and even now i can't really comprehend the the enormity of it it's just bizarre to watch and when i watch footage of it I can't really kind of connect. So I, I think, you know, hearing your revelations has made me think that I really want to find out more about it and really understand, you know, what what really was happening and what kind of context it existed within, especially at the time. But also what I would love to understand more is how how Americans as, as a whole and as individuals processed it or not and dealt with that. Well, this is really, and you know, this brings up a really interesting memory for me, which is when um, we were in LA, I was at um, 
So I was at a venue and we were instructed we had to leave quite quickly because there was a bomb scare. And I was with a few of the Tory humans who I love and we were heading down the stairs quite quickly and I was really frightened because I thought, Jesus, is this what everyone was afraid would happen to me? And <clears throat> how seriously do I need to take this? Like, mm. And at the time, we were on the, I think we were on the 12th floor and we walked down a flight and a group in front of me, one of the guys sort of complained that, oh God, only the 11th floor. And everyone responded by saying, right, like, can you imagine being in the two towers? And I was like, that is bizarre to me that like, you could joke about it or like, you're like, oh, imagine like how many flights they'd have to run. You know, it was just, it was, it was fucked. Well, um, I think I told you this story once before. I, at one point in my life, I moved into a building um, and was living in an apartment on the 31st floor. And the Who removalists who moved us in, one of them was like, oh, this is a building you could fly a plane into. Jesus Christ. And I was just like, that's like, on what level is that okay? Yeah. Or humorous or worth saying out loud? Yeah. It's, it's also an interesting thing as well to talk about when at a time when airstrikes are incredibly common in other parts of the world, and, and were at the time. Mm. American airstrikes oh, yeah. <laughs> were super common in, in you know, the Middle East, and you know, hell, like, you know, what was going on in the Gaza Strip at, the, at that time. I think it's interesting to understand the context of it, that, you know, somehow, you know, there was, there's just kind of no thought of retaliation or recourse or comprehension of what an exchange of m military action, I don't even know the way to put it, you know, it's not really mm. war, but you know, it is, you know, what does an exchange actually look like? And a bunch of people who believe that being in the first world renders you completely invulnerable and, and, and that what happens in your part of the world when, it's, when, when something like that happens is only now more tragic. Yeah. than where it, when it happens elsewhere in the world. So, um, so anyway. how do you see all of that tying into the actual words that, like the song, the song in itself? I'd say that whole, from here no lines are drawn, no lands are owned. And you know, we now live in a world with a 24 hour news cycle and complete, you know, like back when we were growing up, the only time you ever heard about international news was on SBS. Yeah. Um, and you had to watch these sort of news networks, you know, like watching... Or the seven, seven o'clock news on ABC had a five minute segment. Yeah, about, you know, yeah, about the Queen. <laughs> like it was just never... Yeah. Um, and so... Now it's different, you know, we can't sort of look at the world anymore like a, a place where we're you know, we've got parentheses around us and we only need to filter in so much from the outside world and it's that sort of from the other side of what do you mean side of what? Yeah. What 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 is this what are the two sides here? You know, where there's we are all one group of people living on a vast, you know, array of different you know, different environments. But essentially we're all on one damn planet. It's like, one planet, yeah. And you know, we're one species. Literally. And there are very few people who see the world that way, really. 
you know, the, you know, the Greta Thunbergs of the world who kind of understand yeah. the big picture. And so that's what this song is really about, is like, this isn't, this isn't about, you know, who's done what to who at what point. It's, yeah. you know, this is all just friggin' vile behaviour across the board. And while some of it is justifiable for very different reasons, we can't kind of keep letting it play out. At some point we're going to realise that we are either all in this together or we're not. Um, yeah. And that is going to take a lot of friggin' wealth being distributed and a lot of pride being sacrificed. I'm a, I'm a full supporter of that notion of there should be no billionaires. Once you reach 999 million, everything else has to be like redirected into like public parks. I don't think it should even be a billion. I think, you know, like, half, oh, yeah. I think half a million dollars is, you know, like at, at whatever point you I, can no longer, yeah, but you yes, know, like I get what you the mean. the notion. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I don't think it needs to be a free billion dollars at oh, all. No. I think like once you, once you are a, you know, you could be counted as a multi-millionaire, let's say friggin' $10 million. Yeah. That's kind of it. Like the fact that, you know, I was actually watching, um, there's a great interview with Tupac uh, recently where he was like, if it's not right that there are people who have more money that, than the next eight generations could use in their lifetime. Yeah. And there are still homeless people on the street or there are still people who can't, you know, there's still people who can't afford food. It's just, just out of control. And then on top of that... And I know that's not a money-only quandary, um, but... Yeah, but, like, infrastructure and cities and everything, yeah. like, the amount that could be reinvested in the future... Yeah. But, no, we're just hoarding it all. Hoard for, what you can. Yeah, and, like, for what? For, yeah, for what? <laughs> if... If eight generations can't spend how much money you have, how are you going to before you what die? Is, yeah, what is, what do you care? Anyway. It's just bizarre. I feel oh, like we've got a bit off track. Uh, um, yeah, well, I mean, this is, I mean, New York, the center of, you know, oh, yeah. of, of wealth and privilege and elitism and, you know, the stock, you know, Wall Street and the stock exchange and, you know, and all the kind of crimes that happen there, yeah. corruption and, corruption. Yeah. you know, tricking you know, Midwest retirees out of their savings. You know, it's just... Yeah. It's... Yeah, so, yeah, anyway. One of the other things... I feel that, like it's bang on topic, but we yeah, could be oh here yeah, all night. We could be. But one of the other things that I take from this song is that notion of removing... Well, not necessarily removing yourself, but being removed from a situation mm. to get a different perspective. The fact that Scarlett is in an aeroplane looking down on New York and wondering what she's even looking at yeah. or why can't she see what she expected to see. I do think that there, that this song in general is quite a beautiful pause to reconsider where the lines are drawn, what, yeah. what, is, what is the future. And what and part are you playing in yeah. this whole kind of dynamic that, that's been kind of set up? And like, I think it was one of the first questions I asked. We saw, um, we got to hang out with John Owsler for a bit. When we got to New York, him and I got to hang out on Christopher Street Pier, which was amazing. We got to see some actual ballroom being rehearsed, which is wild. 
But we're looking at the city and I asked him, I said, look, you know, you're looking at this city, this is the place where you've lived for 18 years. Like, what does it mean to you? Like, what mm. does this place actually mean? And New York has this, you know, more than many other cities, this kind of fantastic idea about what it is or what it means to live there. Oh, it is an ideal. It's, yeah. It's, I think it's almost more an ideal than it, like, a, <laughs> than, an actual, yeah. than an actual city, but, uh... But yeah, like that, was, uh, that, that was the kind of thing that I think happened for us was getting to face, uh, certainly for me, like actually facing my idea of what New York would be and having to experience the reality of what it actually was to be there. After, you know, I spent a large chunk of my life dreaming of living there and thinking that living there was mm. an indicator that I had succeeded in life if I yeah. could make it, you know, and it's that thing of, you know, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Yeah. Um, well, how about, what if I want to make it elsewhere and be content? But the people who, you know, we met who were living there were just as disillusioned as anyone else. We're, we're just as scared about what's going on. I mean, New York is an incredibly brilliant and powerful place, but everyone was able to describe it to us like a bubble. Yeah. And a place where, you know, while the, their democracy is collapsing around them, everyone's still filling up Times Square and still trying to keep this fabrication alive of mm. New York being the greatest city in the world. Queuing outside the Disney store Times Square. Yep, everyone, you know, everyone running in to see Hamilton while everything that that show stands for is being unstitched in your face. It's, yeah. It was really, it was really intense. Um, I, I think on some level I had a much better time in New York this time round than my visit in 2018, mm -hmm. uh, where I spent two weeks just by myself exploring the city. I mean, that was a great trip and I did things like, I told myself I would visit one bookshop a day over the two weeks mm. and that was delightful and I got to see so many fantastic bookshops. And I did all of the touristy sightsee things and this time I was like, well, I've done all of that so I don't need to do that for me, it was much more about just enjoying the moments and and connecting with the people. For the, the full day that Teague was with us before he went home, uh, Teague and I spent the day together because mm. um, Teague had also wanted to see the city and see all of those places. And Teague's a photographer and a stunning photographer and wanted to do his take on all of these New York ideals. Yeah. And so that was a great day and we managed to basically get to every place that he specifically wanted to see with the exception of the Flatrion building, is that how you pronounce the it? The Flatiron. Flatiron? Yeah. Oh, I've been reading that wrong my entire life. <laughs> there we go, the, the Flatiron flat building, flat building. Which turned out to be entirely covered in scaffolding, so it was not worth the trip. Um, but that was an, an, a fantastic day uh, taking, because I'd been to many of those places on my last trip, so it was great to see them again with Teague and have him take the photos that he wanted to take. And it was an epic day. By the time we got back to the apartment that we were staying in we had done 36,000 steps oh my god and then we went out for dancing we did um so that was a, a big 
big day. It was a big day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was a wonderful day too. It was um, a real testament. I think that that day was a real testament to. I think New York. Looking back at the state of mind that we were all in, it was mm. very much a place where we were, were kind of really able to reach a point of discussing what we really needed. And yes. that's something that's super important to be able to have on a trip like this, but also just in general in your friendships, you know, to not be concerned about stating what your needs are, without being concerned about how your friend will interpret that impinging on their wants. Um, we're able to say, look, you know, and you know, Teague was very clear in what he wanted, you know, and, and it was important that you got a day together. In the same way, it was super important to me that I had a day alone because <laughs> I had become really overwhelmed. Um, mm. You know, I live, I live alone, I'm single, and I'd been going through quite a lot in the lead up to this trip and spending a lot of time alone. So kind of coming into a point where I'm literally with two people every day or like, or just with Teague for those five days, I'd, I'd reached a bit of a, a bit of a boiling point of like how to kind of process my own thoughts without mm. any, without any, any real alone time. So it was a, it was a good thing to do, but it was also important. Yeah. And it meant that when it came time to say goodbye to Teague, we really were able to kind of appreciate what, what we'd all got to have together. And, and certainly for me, you know, the time that him and I got together, just those five days suddenly became all the more special. And that was great. We, on the day that Teague had to fly home, we went out for breakfast at a really old style American diner <laughs> and sat in the uh, vinyl booths. I'm just remembering those two really hot bears who came in. I was also thinking of them. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, we appreciated them as a team. Yeah. And it was, and then we had to wave goodbye and he got in a long taxi ride out to the yeah, airport. Yeah, did indeed. It was a bit of a fiasco, poor and then him. Oh, and then he hit so many hassles, like four or five flight changes even before he got on a plane. Yeah. But he finally made it home only six or seven hours later than originally planned. That's all right. So it um, wasn't too bad. Yeah, but we had some incredible memories over the next couple of days as well, just, you know, just us hanging out. Yeah. Um, the re after Teague went, I actually got to spend time with the awesome, wonderful, and in bonkersly generous Yvette, who, um, so we, Yvette and I used to work together. She was the CEO of an organization I used to work for. And I was very excited to work for her as an EA until she left the company at the time I got promoted. And we've stayed really good friends since then. Mm. And she's been one of the most wonderful and generous humans uh, who supported us. She was one of the first big donations we got on the GoFundMe. Has you know, and you know, agreed to spend a bunch of time with us, and so took me out for the day. And then we met up with Michael and went to see this a strange loop, a strange loop on Broadway, yeah. which is just Yvette and her husband were just the most delightful people. They really were, and Australian too. So it was lovely to have this connection. That's true. We hadn't seen any Aussies in ages, have we? And like, observe America and reflect mm. from an Australian perspective whilst simultaneously enjoying it and getting there. Like they've lived in America for four years. Yeah. And so it's interesting to have both of those perspectives. And America and New York for, for I think one or two 
so for them to be able to talk about New York as Australians living there and, and interpreting everything that's going on, mm. it was really fascinating. And the show... Oh, and then the show. So Strange Loop is written by um, a, an, a wonderful gay, black, big, you know, you know mm. fat um, American named Michael Jackson. And it has just been an absolute darling of Broadway and has really shaken things up for reasons that we're about to tell you. Um, it's just won a bunch of Tonys and a Pulitzer. It's an incredible show. It also turns out to be the exact show that I needed to see for this project. Not because I'm going to like write a musical or... Uh, Speak for yourself, honey. Well, maybe down the line, but yeah. not, not this minute, not this project. Prejudice um, and pride. <laughs> but because the whole, like it's quite a meta show in that it's a play about someone writing a play that's about their life. Yeah, it's about, yeah, it's a, it's a play about a, writing a play about writing a play. Yeah. And so it really delves into what you put into a work about your own life mm. and how far do you go? How, how do you, how do you balance the offending the people mm. that you genuinely love just because they may or may not have had a negative influence on your own identity mm. or, you know, delving into experiences that have been incredibly formative, but so incredibly soul crushing as well. Yeah. On top of that, it's about really facing what it is you expect from mm. you, know, what outcome are you really looking for by writing a story about your pain or, or telling anything that's sort of autobiographical in any way, like be conscious that it may not kind you of lead to where you... don't write the end and then well, that's exactly right. healed. But like, that's the point is like, you don't get to write the end. Yeah, so your story it, is still going. That's exactly right. You can try and create some sort of, you know, conclusion to what you're creating, but what you're dealing with still continues on as you continue on to live. Absolutely. Um, and I think that was a really great message because, you know, obviously with what you're working on and what and I've worked on confessional work in the past and it's the same thing. You have to kind of come face to face with the fact that this won't, this may allow you to process a great deal, but it won't, nece it won't necessarily change, yeah. you know, the situation for you. You're still you. Yeah. And you still have to manage the things you have to manage. And, it, and like, I mean, just being a show that was about being fat and black and gay, you know, all things that those three kind of, you know, demographics are all in at war with each other yeah and it was fascinating to explore that and and for the first time in my life certainly I was like a this is a Broadway show that literally had the words shitty butthole in them and were like it was it was crass and it was it was a bit crass in honesty it wasn't yeah it was gratuitous no I didn't no, no no feel like anything yeah, maybe crass isn't the right word it was just it was it was it was real. It, yeah, there was no artifice about it. There was no kind of politeness about the realities of how gay people talk to and about themselves and each other. Like they tell you in the opening scene that it's going to be a musical with butt fucking. Yeah. And then there is a butt fucking scene and it's really confronting. Yeah. The whole thing was incredibly confronting and like, and, but like beautifully funny in these oh, really hard, yes. like, 
the humour was heartbreaking, but it was so fucking funny. Um, oh, look, it, look the, you know, the moral of the story is if you are in New York and you can get to see Strange Loop, or if you're visiting New York and you can see Strange Loop, it is, it is the number one ticket. You know, you'll never, I guarantee you've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it like is. The, it is unlike any musical yeah. I've seen before. Like, it's, it's what, the closest thing I think you could say is that like Book of Mormon is, it's along that line, you know, you know, very funny, but very tragic and very kind of out there, but comes from so much, a much more sincere and important place yeah. to understand this sort of cross-section of cultures and, and therefore kind of investigate your own prejudice and your own treatment of yourself. And of course, it was a, this was a, you know, Strange Loop was a vet's idea. We had no idea, but then I it also happens- I didn't even know it existed, to be honest. That the writer is um, an incredible Tori Amos fan. Yeah. And met Tori on this tour. Um, and, you know, she gets a mention in the show. Uh, so it was, that, that was just amazing yeah. as well. It felt very much on theme. Yeah, like we were meant to be there all along and Yvette yeah. had just chosen it for us. So thank you so much, Yvette. We just have so much love and respect and, and appreciation for you and to Kurt as well. The other thing that I did while I was in New York is get a tattoo. You did? Uh, so if you follow me on Instagram or social media, you may have seen the photo. I got some of the scarlet leaves from the special edition illustration mm -hmm. tattooed on just below my collarbone on my chest. Yeah, lovely. And I got three leaves because there were three of us doing this yeah. trip. And it, the, the way it came about where I got it done was I think a very on-brand- Very kismetic. Story and happening because I had put a call out on Facebook for queer owned tattoo parlors in New York. Mm -hmm. Worked for me in San Francisco. Yes. And Noah Michelson, who has interviewed Tori on numerous occasions. And is very good friends with her. And is her quite and good yes. friends with her as well, suggested uh, this time tomorrow uh, in Brooklyn. And so I got in touch with them. And when I was looking at their website, there was one of their um, principal tattooists is uh, a woman called Virginia. And I well, was how like, about that? Ooh, Oh, here we go. This, this is, this is giving me the let's do this vibes. And so I emailed her and she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I book out nine months in advance, but, uh, you could go with our apprentice whose name is Patty and he is also Australian. Uh, Amazing. <laughs> so, it gets better. So I was like, oh, an Australian. I could, I could, like that, that That's works cool. for me. This is all, it's still the same tattoo parlor. It's, it's been recommended by Virginia. So I feel like I'm being pointed in the right mm. direction. So I email Patty and he says, yes, I can absolutely do that for you. I just need to wait and see how I go with today's tattoos because I'm recovering from a broken collarbone. And <laughs> I was like, oh my God, now I have to have you tattooing okay. because you're tattooing my collarbone and I'm on this journey that's all about healing. Yes, it might not be about physical healing, but like... It's all, it's it's all part of the same... All there. And even the fact that the tattoo parlor is a nod to the song This Time Tomorrow by The Kinks um, mm. means that like everything is, is tied together with music. And we 
yeah, we really do lean on music so much more than a lot of people recognise. Um, one thing I've been noticing in the interviews that I've been doing is when I talk about do you turn to music for healing, just this, oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, hands down, everyone that I have talked to is just so absolutely leaning on music for emotional support and for connection. And I just, I love that all of, how all of this plays in together. And so, yeah, I'm so thrilled that Patty was able to do these tattoos. Mm. You unfortunately can't yet find him anywhere online because he's building his portfolio before he makes his um, debut. debut. But keep an eye out because he's, he's a great guy and did a wonderful job. Mm. It was the first time he'd ever done colour. Oh, wow. And so well, I feel pretty special. special about that. With a lot of discussion, we found the best way to get exactly what I wanted, and I'm just so happy with it. Yeah. My little memento. Yeah. Well, you can follow this time tomorrow online, and that's where yes. he'll appear. Yes, he will appear um, when he emerges with all of his incredible work, because he did show me some other photos that he's done, and I'm, I'm very impressed. So, I mean, we've talked about some of the really positive and uplifting experiences. And those are the experiences we had of, of New York's kind of veneer, you might say, like sort of the, yeah. the, um, the light side of New York and the, 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 the part of it. The idea. It, yeah, the, the part that it wants you to see. Um, but we also got to see the undersigned. And, you know, that made it complicated. You know, we had, when we were on our way to New York, I spoke to a friend of mine who I didn't get to see, sadly. Um, but he kind of put a bit of a, an interesting, he kind of... The fear of God. Yeah, he cast a bit of a pall on the visit, you know, because of what was kind of going on and, and suggested that we get pepper spray because we can't buy it in New York. And we did go and buy some from Philadelphia. And as we were coming into New York, you know, the, the main news items were a, sta you know, a, a young woman was shot, shot while walking her baby. Yeah, um, pushing a pram in the Upper East Side, which kind of really rattled the community because the Upper East Side isn't you know, considered a nice neighborhood. And in a sort of other part of Brooklyn, um, two very, very young boys were stabbed. So there was, and, 10, and at, at the same, yeah, they were really young. And I think the next day there was, a, there was another stabbing in another station of like a 14 year old. And um, then the, the day that we were there, the second day that we were there or something, they found a body in the oh, shop just too. around the corner from where we were staying. Yeah, in and the, they had no idea how long it had been there. Well, it was a it was a it was a viewing room, like it, it was, was a sex it was yeah. a sex, sex venue. Yeah. But um, like a porn a porn room presumably is where the person had yes. passed away. But I have no idea what the no, situation well, yeah. was, but like yeah, there's just all but, of these stories that keep and on the day that that was all happening, in, they had changed open carry legislation in New York. So suddenly, you know, gun control in New York had become null and void, basically. And there were sort of, you know, there were emergency meetings to try and create some other controls because suddenly New York had become a, a free-for-all gun-wise, which was terrifying because there already was, you know, massive amounts of gun violence and well, knife violence happening we in the city. We were still reeling with the news of the primary school shooting. Yeah, and at U Uvalde or Uvalde? One thing that I've sort of noticed is that 
more often than not in the six weeks we've been here, American flags have been flown at half-mast. Mm. And it's because all of these things keep happening. Yeah. And like I even remarked to Bailey one day, why don't they just break the flagpoles in half? Because the image because is the they're never going to get them, get the flag up. Yeah. Well, they'll never be, yeah, that's a thing. They wouldn't be, yeah. Anyway, so we did get, you know, we saw some real undersides of, of things and we had to face the underbelly, didn't we? Yeah. And the, the amount of homelessness in each American city that we've been to is very... I don't even know how to put it. It's overwhelming. It is overwhelming. You know, we, we, actually, I think Denver's one of the worst, you know, that, we, that we're in now. Like, you know, yeah. we're talking about like huge, you know, rows of tents, tent cities. all on all on the median strips and along the sort of, you know, grass on the sidewalks. You're like um, a block away from Hamburger Mary's where we ate lunch today. Yeah. There's like three or four guys just sitting in a row, clearly inebriated and, and unable to like get help from where they need it yeah but new york it was i think it's a thing you know like this sort of city that never sleeps vibe there really were just people all over everywhere um and mm. sleeping wherever they could um oh, or you know but I up until all hours oh yeah walking home at two in the morning from a club one day and one night and um, walking past a park bench and I honestly thought there were just garbage bags on, like someone had dumped on the, on the park bench. But then I saw that the shape of the bag was pulled over someone's knees, but the bag was still like completely seat, like pulled up and sealed. And so I, hope that that was just someone sleeping like using a garbage bag for warmth because otherwise it was a corpse in mm. a like on a thing so being faced with these things constantly in mm. a city that prides itself for being the pinnacle of civilization is just really interesting it, it, like a dichotomy uh, and we wondered how it fit in like we were discussing, I can't see New York, and we came across the line, well, we came to the line, mm. where she mentions crystal meth. Yeah, crystal meth in meters of millions. And we wondered how that played into the 9-11 narrative, but couldn't decipher that, even with a bit of Googling, all of the, everything that came up in a Google was how crystal meth has affected people with dealing with their trauma from 9-11. Like mm. it's, they were all years later. So the reference itself what didn't, didn't stand out as being totally referencing the attacks on New York. But at the same time, like crystal meth is clearly plaguing New York. Mm and probably was back then. I mean, it's plaguing the world. It is plaguing the world. And, um, you know, I have a very particular connection to, to an understanding of meth users and that the, the little I learned from that little experience that I had um, was also about grief and about people who turn to a drug that 
powerful to face grief. Yeah. So yeah, it was definitely an interesting reference that we picked up on when we were sort of having a chat about the lyrics. But I do want to come back to um, the point, you know, before we kind of move on with the rest of the episode, I, do, I, I don't, want, I don't want to leave it on a low. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's, you know, it's just something worth considering. And, you know, especially in light of, you know, our, our discussions about, you know, global distribution of wealth. But I wanted to finish our reflections on New York by talking about two very powerful experiences we had in the in the fading time yeah. that we had there. Um, and you mentioned heading home, and unfortunately, that sort of site put a bit of a a bit of a dampener on what had otherwise been a pretty incredible experience. No? Y- yes, yes. So I had uh, spent the evening. Well, spent part of the evening. Well, we'd I gone guess. to House of Yes. Yes, I'd we had been, gone to House of I'd Yes. I'd been recommended by the awesome Capitano Spartalis, Will, who, um, the wonderful Vasilios, who actually did all the audio recording for my poetry collection coming out, and he told me about House of Yes. Matt Katz also told us to go there. He did indeed. Yeah, Will had actually worked there, and they'd said so many great things about it, especially because it is one of the pioneers of promoting consent and entertainment. So we wanted to have a check of it out and we got there and we had an absolute blast. And it was kind of the, one of the first times we'd gone out kind of, for me, like I hadn't gone out dancing the night before because I'd been in a state of real serious overwhelm mm. and struggling with emotions. So um, this was you know, the chance to kind of go out and have a bit of a boogie and that was a hoot. Yes. Um, and then we headed home and, and someone's night continued and I it was lovely. on, um, so, I went out to the Eagle. For those who are unaware, is a big gay leather-ish kind of venue. Um, I say leather-ish, but like it's hard to be leather when no one is wearing anything. Paint me a picture. <laughs> uh, that's it's a club, and so there are there are many floors, and there's dancing and various other physical activities going on everywhere. And it was it was a good. I was encouraged to go there by both Teague and Bailey because I was in two minds. Uh, I had been there in 2018, um, but under very different circumstances. And that had left me feeling all manner of emotions that I just kind of were a a negative association. And so- Your relationship had put a lot of boundaries that you didn't necessarily agree to. yeah, the my relationship the at that from time having, you know, was the time that you were looking for uh, wasn't exactly uh, great in the way that we negotiated boundaries and how they played out, especially for the level of commitment that we supposedly had for each other. Mm. That's a whole other story. But Teague had encouraged me to go and reclaim the eagle for myself. Mm. So I was there to have a good time. And I have to admit that uh, I did have an amazing time. Yes. And Several, I heard. <laughs> yes, many, mm. many good times. Two good times on my part and mm. a number of good times on other people's parts. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> on other people's parts, yeah. indeed. But the 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 reason why we're talking about it now, because I know it's slightly more blue and uh, you know explicit. Yeah, look, look, the veil is real thin on this one. But um, yeah, yeah. But look, that's. But also, the reason we're talking about it is because it was a very significant moment for me, where 
I, I have been describing it as one of the most hedonistic experiences that I've ever had. I was in the middle of a lot of pleasure and feeling great about myself and, and our time here and what I was doing there. And in the middle of that, it occurred to me that I was not hurting anyone by being there. Mm. This was o not only okay, but encouraged by my partner. Mm. And the fact that we have that trust and that relationship where we can encourage each other to chase our bliss and still love each other and not... It just, that knowledge that I was in that relationship and my love fatigue just overwhelmed me even though he wasn't present and pushed the entire experience into this euphoric moment where I, I genuinely felt like this strange out-of-body hmm. bliss that, like, I, I, it was just, it was a fantastic hmm. moment that has been quite revelationary Revolutionary? Revelatory. Revelatory for me. And I'm really, really pleased that I got to not only just reclaim the eagle, but like reclaim myself mm. in a number of ways. Yeah. yeah. And you can kind of, you can go back in time and, and, and heal something. You, know, you can achieve that. And it, it, I, think, I imagine it was very powerful to kind of as a moment to really signify for you how far you've come. Absolutely. And like what, and how much has changed in, you know, not a very like large amount of time, like in four years, that's, that's a massive shift that I'm sure at the beginning you weren't, you didn't know you would ever have a relationship like this or, or an ability to have this kind of experience. Yeah, precisely. And what it boils down to is, is that everything's going to be fine, fine, fine? <laughs> no. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but more just the Tory lyric that I have tattooed on my arm, that the sexiest thing is trust. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think I would have felt that good about that experience had I been breaking someone's trust or had I just been there for myself. Like, the fact that it was all okay and every like... I felt supported, I felt loved, I felt encouraged. It was celebrate, like, yeah. know, we, it was celebrating you. It was celebrating your, your success in how far you've come that you wanted and felt able and available to that experience. And we, you know, we loved that for you. And so I do apologize to anyone who's listening to this who found that far too much information people close to me or family members that did not want to hear that but I'm sorry it's my life and I'm celebrating it and so should you and yes you I have I have no I have no you shame in saying get on board yeah. join the parade float you know um it's it's that notion with things like that you know and I've had those same kind of things with my family when I've been willing to talk about um you know my sex life or any of those things and it's about kind of going this is the fullness of life and I'm not willing to pretend that things don't happen to me for what I presume your kind of um, tastes to be like I can have an I can have an idea about what you do or don't want to hear about but I don't really know because we've never discussed it yeah. to to set those kind of boundaries 
Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a person who survived sexual violence. And, you know, it's something that I took a long time to talk to my family about because of how uncomfortable it made them that I'd gone through such a horrific experience. Mm. But I went, well, actually, I still went through it. And you should love me enough to be very complete yeah. in your love for me that you aren't willing to ask me to be silent about a reality of my life that I need I need to deal yeah. with and I and I want to be honest about that's what love is yeah. love is about honesty and about accepting people as they are and 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 yeah if if that's not something that you're capable of then I think you need to reassess but what also love actually is. it's a two-way street and 100%. I apologize for turning it this way straight after <laughs> such a serious moment <laughs> for you yeah, you're right but I, there's a meme that I've always enjoyed I love memes that says, you say we're trying for a baby. I hear my husband is dumping his cum in me as often as, <laughs> I, as, often as he can. <laughs> yeah, like that, and that's, that's just a matter of perspective, Brenda. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but it's like, but what I'm saying is it is a two-way street. Like, going around talking about trying for a baby, that is telling us you are having, having sex, sex very regularly. Yeah. What, but Unprotected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've had this conversation, you know, about being trans. You know, I remember um, I had a wonderful conversation with a very close family member who wanted to know why I'd felt the need. And you can hear the language. Like, why had I felt the need to share my transition on social media? And I responded and said, well, you know, not too long ago, my cousin, um, my younger cousin, and his wife announced that they were pregnant. It's a wonderful thing that happened in their lives. It's, a, it's something that they've done in their life that they're really happy about mm. and that they're proud of mm. and that they want to share with everyone around them. Can you understand that? Why they did that? And this person said, of course. And I went, well, it's the same thing. Something has uh, happened in my life that I'm happy about and proud of and I want to celebrate and I want to share with the people I love. It's the same. Until you stop judging transition through a lens that you only accept heteronormative expressions of sex and relationships, mm. then you have to you have to appreciate that what you're doing is discriminating. And if you're discriminating, that's fine, that's on you. But don't be mad at me for sharing my life when your choice is to discriminate based on that information. And if you're uncomfortable with the fact that you're discriminating, that's your discomfort to address. Yeah, and that whole, we can't possibly acknowledge that gays exist, yet we will talk about love and marriage and having children with like from birth yeah literally. with children like we can tell that put put marriage into all of the fairy tales yep. as long as it's a man straight marriage a woman. yeah anyway, we could be here all night and talking about <laughs> this one too so let's like, have yeah. a chat about my last moments in new york on the last day michael had an interview for the book and the podcast and I realized that I hadn't had a moment to go to Stonewall mm. um, and obviously it was during the day I wasn't gonna be able to actually go in as mm. you and Teague did on the first night but um, I thought I would love to just grab myself a frappuccino and go sit out front and just have a bit of a think about what it meant to be at this site of what we recognize as the beginning of gay liberation in the modern world when riots erupted outside Stonewall and whilst there 
I came across, well, actually, I, all I heard was someone walk past me and say, excuse me, can I ask you a question? How did you get to be so goddamn sexy? <laughs> and it was not meant to be a cat call. It was someone just being really charming and it was quite clear that they were homeless. And I had a bit of a laugh and we ended up having this really wonderful chat about his life you know, that he'd fought in the war and his wife had died of cancer. And I found myself sort of going, is this all true or is this a way that he has discovered that will create enough sympathy to prompt someone to give him money? I don't really care either way, but it's just, it was interesting. Like if it was his life, it was an incredible life to have gone through. If it wasn't his life, it was an incredible story that he was able to weave. Mm. You know, we were chatting and he was like, oh, um, my name's Bishop. I was like, what an interesting, like, you know, this sort of religious, it just felt like, it really did feel like a spiritual kind of encounter, to be quite honest, because we did have this conversation about vulnerability and, and survival and what it kind of means to be on the streets of New York. Um, and what had happened prior is at some point in this trip, we don't really know where I've lost all my cash. Like I took a bunch of cash out and I had it with me and I still have not been able to find it to this day. And I reckon I've left it in one of the rental cars. It's like fallen out at some point. But um, anyway, so it, it, you know, it came to the point of the interaction where he was going to move on with his day. And he was like, oh, look, you know, if you do have any money to spare. And I said, look, all I've got is my last dollar bill. You know, it, I know it's not a lot, but it's all I have to offer. And the expression of gratitude he showed me for giving, it wasn't my last dollar in my account, you know, but it was the last cash yeah and it was you know but like what little I had I would give yeah he was just so sweet about that and, and he said I'm gonna he said something along the lines of I'm gonna really treasure this and this means a lot to me that you know mm. you wouldn't turn me away and you would just be willing to chat to me and you know it gets lonely and all this stuff it just was really powerful yeah and so you know my confessional with Bishop ended and um, it just was the most beautiful time and I was I left it feeling so elated because New York hadn't been what I expected. I'd found it, I'd, I'd really struggled being there. I didn't feel like I could really connect to it. It all just felt like a fabrication and like, and my attempts to kind of plug into what New York was felt super feeble. And I just felt like I was kind of wandering and it just, none of it felt quite right until that moment. And so as I was walking home, I took a moment to kind of just sit. I literally was just leaning up against it post and smiling and listening to music and feeling really good and messaging some friends and next thing I know this person rides up to me on a bike and goes look I was riding by and just wanted to let you know that you look so beautiful and I just had to stop and let you know that I'm a trans woman and I haven't started and I just wanted you to know that you're beautiful and I was riding by and I realized that I, if she can do it I can do it like I want to be like her and I'm, oh no, <laughs> it was just really special. Um, and I've had it a few times, this trip, like it happened in Orlando and I've had these really wonderful affirmations for where I'm at in my life and fucking hell, it was just, this was very particular where she was, she hadn't started doing much yet. She just knew that she was a woman and that she wanted to make those steps and she didn't know where to start or what to do or whether it was worth it. I said, well, let's have a sit. And we ended up sitting on this like New York stool, stoop um, on those sort of, you know, the tradition, you know, the, the, the famous stairs of New York and just talking about what the journey had been and what she wanted and what she was trying to achieve with her life. And, and I think just being, she just really appreciated being spoken to like a sister. 
Mm. And um, it just was the best way and you know, to sort of finish New York. And then as I was walking home, uh, I, had I had committed to no longer vaping while I was on the trip. And so literally as I approached the door to come into the apartment before we left New York, it, my vape ran out and I walked in the door and I put it in the bin and I haven't vaped since. It's not gonna last, but I was pleased that I was like, nope, that's it for the next chunk of time. This is me feeling positive about myself and feeling like I do have things to offer and mm. and that I'm at I'm in the right place in my life. I think that was what it really allowed me to believe was that I'm in the right place. Um, so yeah, so New York ended on quite an incredible high. So do you do you have advice for Virginia? Just oh yeah, let's say that that wonderful woman who rode by. Let's. Let's paint oh, her wow. as Virginia. Yeah, crikey. Well, the advice that I had for her, and I suppose the advice for anyone who's trans and who's listening to this is, let your transition speak to you. And, you know, there's this idea that you need to do all these things to be trans or that you, you need to move through a certain type of process or this certain series of operations <laughs> in order to, you know, be able to identify as trans, you know, the Dominic Jacksons and the Elliot Pages and, you know, they seem to exist in this paradigm of passing and of yeah, accessing surgical support. And I look forward to the time where we can just acknowledge that, you know, a trans you know, person can be seen as trans no matter what they decide to do about their fucking body. Yeah. Um, and, and how they want to thrive in it. And the most wonderful lesson that I've learned over the two years I've been trans is that my body is perfect. And because I do think that there is a large difference between having your gender recognized and mm -hmm. passing. Mm -hmm. They are very, very different, different things. We've had some inc beautiful experiences. We've, like, we've been able to observe for each other and we've experienced directly. Um, they are. And one is far more powerful than the other. Oh, absolutely. Um, but I think like what I had initially kind of wrote was that your life isn't an idea, you know, and your ideas about what your life should be, you know, are very different. They, they can sort of, they can be goalposts, they can provide guidance, but they should never be the be all and end all of whether you have succeeded in life or not. And, you know, there's, there's, just as there was more to New York than what we imagined it would be. My advice, Virginia, is don't let your idea about what your life should be distract you from what beautiful thing your life becomes Yeah. because of the decisions you make, so long as they are authentic decisions at the time. On that note, you know, I remember reading, from what I have read about September 11, I remember reading this great account where they, they the plane that did not reach its target of the Pentagon due to the insurgence of the passengers on board who fought back against terrorists. Um, th and that plane crashed and they all perished. They recovered the black box and they, I can't remember the man's name, I'll have to look it up. They can identify a passenger on the plane who, upon realizing what's going on, you can sort of hear the terrorists talk uh, and lay out to the passengers what's about to happen. And right before the sort of melee starts, you hear this, this, this person shout, let's party. And like, you know, it's just that, that throw yourself into the fray and like, if, if I'm going down, let's free and go. And, and it's this, 
I don't know, something about that is changed my perspective on life and that being the way you want to live your life, you know, mm. tr- you know, it's that live every day like it's your last, but not just that, but like be fervent and yeah. be real and be willing to, to face whatever it is that comes at you with that approach of like, right, let's fucking do this, you know, as often as you can. Yeah. Um, that, that should be the aim because that's, the, that's, that's a powerful way to live life. That was my advice for Virginia. Mine was very much about basically every now and then it's worth doing a flyover of your own life. Absolutely. It's worth getting a different perspective, viewing it from a distance, seeing where you've drawn your own lines and how helpful that is. Mm. Uh, or if you need to uh, reassess things. Um, yeah, basi- that's basically it. Like, uh, it's okay to pull back every now and then and think, okay, mm. well, where am I? Where am I headed? Mm. Um, what does my life look like from the outside for myself? Yeah. Because, you know, you can get other people giving you their perspectives, but yours is what matters the most. And so sometimes reassessing things from a, a different angle. Yeah, and like that can take so many forms, you know, even just taking a bit of a break or doing a bit of a retreat or mm. doing a bunch of journaling. There are so many ways where you can just sort of really look at your life and make a plan. Now, and Bailey, there's, there's one way to do it. You have to sit down and <laughs> do a five year plan and then in five years, no, I'm joking. Um, no, I, was, I really thought we were going to say, no, there's only one way to do it, which is to fly to America okay. for eight weeks. And, um, oh, God, am I getting perspective on my life? I don't know. I don't know either. So songs, let's quickly swap a couple of songs. Yeah, I have actually a couple more that have come up while we're talking, and I really think Monument by Roshan oh. Murphy and Robin should no. be on this list. Rokes up. Yeah, Rokes up. Um, because... The kind of this will because be a beacon brilliant. when I'm gone. Yeah. It is brilliant, but it's also, if you haven't heard the song, it's freaking powerful and the music video is epic. Um, and there's two versions of it that you can listen to and they're both, ep- they're both brilliant. So um, enjoy all of the monument stuff and the story behind it, if you Google it, is wicked. Um, Michael told me about it while we were driving and I was absolutely boggled in the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that one. Um, there's also a song called Dark Doo-Wop by Ms. Mister. And I kind of like it. It's got a really great vibe. And one of it, I just, the reason I thought about it was um, there's a lyric in there which is like, um, uh, as long as we're going down, maybe you should stick around. And um, I just love it. We'll have a listen in the car. Excellent. But the other two that I'd already set up were um, a song called All That You Have Is Your Soul by Tracy Chapman. I think Tracy Chapman is an artist that has so many songs to offer to our experiences of New York, including, you know, Sub City and Bang Bang Bang. Just listen to some Tracy Chapman because she has this incredibly powerful way of describing the divisions in society. And Michael's reflection earlier, one we didn't mention before, was that I don't think we saw a single white homeless person in New York. Oh, yeah. Um, Of all the people we saw, and we saw a lot, but I don't think I saw a single white person. in that in that condition and then, and what was interesting was we were actually passing uh, when we were leaving dinner to go to broadway actually there was two people who were actually homeless who were discussing being black and homeless as we were passing and i, I wish i'd kind of well i didn't want to perv on their conversation or eavesdrop but like i was like that was even more important to me was like 
these people are very conscious of what's going on here and oh, yeah. and, and like not that they I, I didn't assume that they weren't but this isn't you know this isn't just kind of a, a status quo this is very clearly the way the system was designed um, and we need to yeah. examine that sort of perspective that we take you know you know as you were saying your advice to virginia is i guess a perspective on your life but get your perspective on life as a whole yeah, yeah. how a, your life fits into others yeah and examine what what cause or causes you're contributing positively to yeah because no you can't do it all and you can't air condition the world and you can't be just one human but you can create an alliance with your friends and be like, right, well, this is my, you know, this is what I want to take care of. This is important to me. Can we do some stuff together? Or can we fundraise? Or can we go support something? Or And then next month, Betsy, it'll be your issue. Like, you know, mm. whatever. I think there's just so much more we can be doing. Um, and that's what I'm really pleased that America time here has kind of charged me to take that on when I go home. And yeah. um, But all that you have as your soul is really about generational um not trauma but you know uh there's a sort of line where it's like my mother told me you know don't give or sell your soul away and i thought i could make a difference but having babies was the best i could do like, you know living in a sort of cycle of poverty and of you know of trying to get somewhere and realizing that it's the system is set up so that you don't um so it's a, that's a great song and on the other hand, we have ukulele, the ukulele song by Amanda Palmer, which I just love. It's just, it's a song about, you know, friggin', you know, th there's a great moment where it's like, remember, we're all going to die, so play ukulele. Like, just just live the life you want to live. You only get one, and it's friggin' short, and there's so much that you can actually do and enjoy in life that's that's precious and little and, and special and unique to you. And in the city, that was, if there was anything I took from New York, it was that. It was like, just fucking play your ukulele and just be yourself and just do whatever you want to do because somewhere along the way, someone is going to stop on their bicycle to tell you that they think you're fantastic and that you have changed their life. Yeah. That is so fucking powerful that someone could pull over and go, you changed my life. I didn't think that I could do this, but seeing you and seeing how free you seem... I think I can take this on and I want to. Yeah. Fucking, yeah. if that's not what life is all about, then I don't know what it is. Absolutely. Kaboom. I, uh, I didn't have too many songs that sort of sprang to mind that tie in with I Can't See New York for me, but I did, I, I love Monument as an addition mm. from this discussion. That's perfect and I adore that song. The um, original version is my favorite because there's so much space in it mm. musically uh, but then there is a more dancier version if you want to get your groove on and um, you know i do well yes so i <laughs> like have them for different moods um but the one that did come up surprising nobody is an <laughs> Anne Brun song and fucking Brun. i'm, I'm we obsessed love it. There was a video on her Instagram recently of her just putting up a, like, raising a pride flag on a flagpole. And then she runs to the camera and goes, happy pride! And that's it. And I'm like, I'm so in love with it. <laughs> Stan. But the song is called Lullaby for Grown Ups. And it's very simple. It basically says, you know, you can go to sleep and don't, don't worry about what what will take place like um your prophecies won't 
be fulfilled tonight. Um, and then there's a line in it, just remember there are a million ways to die, which can be really morbid in, like some people see it as quite morbid, but for me, it's quite liberating in that, I mean, maybe to my own detriment, but I just, I don't get caught up in assuming that all the terrible things are gonna take place. Mm. And so I love that song and it kind of musically ties in with I Can't See New York too. It's got a similar vibe, but anyway, yeah, that's a little something for you yeah. to, to jump on the playlist. And yeah. um, remember that um, you can jump on the playlist, you can buy merch, you can donate to our GoFundMe. We've still got another two weeks left and Honey, 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 did we have a day-to-day -day of money disappearing out from under us again, thanks oh to good. rental car companies. So, um... Just yeah. all these hidden costs. Oh, dang. Or, like, costs that we're certain we've already paid, but apparently we haven't, yeah, or they, like, I couldn't check that, so I have to charge it. So, like, we've got to chase up some things, but... But, yeah, so, um, please mm, continue to, um, help us out. We've got another two weeks to go, so you can do that. Um, <laughs> you can... Two weeks of the trip, and then... I don't know, six months of recovering debt. Yeah, let's not go. Let's just yeah. leave that. I'll deal with that when we go home and I have an income again. Yes. You know, you can do a whole bunch of things to support us. You can PayPal us directly. Um, you can buy my single that's out, um, God. Uh, you can buy it on Bandcamp. You can subscribe to my OnlyFans, seeing as, you know, sorry to my family, yeah. <laughs> you know, who might be listening. Um, but you can, you, can, you can see me in compromising positions if that's your thing. There are ways and means to help us yeah. to kind of get through this and we appreciate all of them that you do. And even if you can't sort of contribute financially, please just share what we're up to. We want to get, we want to yeah. reach as many people as possible. If someone like, told us- If you're listening, like this is episode what, eight? If you're liking this, tell someone. Yeah, literally let people know um, because that's that means a lot to us as well. Um, we, you know, in the same way that this, we're talking about the fact that this podcast won't end when the trip ends either. We see, a, you know, this is about the project that large that we're working yeah. on so you know there's life in this thing and there's legs on it so um you know help us in any way that yeah. you you can we were talking you... about season two yesterday we were oops spoilers oh, oh, no, come. we had people telling us that we should be on the news last night <laughs> <laughs> the news my goodness oh like people are like does trey must know what you're doing like they just i think because in their worlds things like this are so rare yes that they just feel like you know, I well, funnily enough, I did something on the Insta story where I was like, uh, asked me an anonymous question, and a very, very treasured friend was like, "When are we getting together for a cuppa, Tori?" And someone <laughs> messaged me was like, "Is this the Tori Amos?" No. Yeah, exactly. Tori's not messaging Tori me on Insta. Tori doesn't follow me on Instagram, and decides to anonymously message you. Well, ano but then using it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was so so sweet. Um, but yeah, so but you know any any support that you can give us in sharing or or contributing directly means a lot. So um, and this is episode seven. No, no it is eight. Yeah. Is eight. So episode nine is coming up. Pancake. Oh, we've got a dish for you. We pancakes. do have a dish for you. We have ordered you a great episode. Um, this is, you know, this will track us heading up to Connecticut. Just all of New England, basically. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, Massachusetts. Well, what we've got to see of it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, um, actually, the next episode is a whole other ball game. We went through some incredible stuff up there, so. And Pancake's such a firecracker of a song, mm -hmm. too, so we'll, um, Stay yeah. tuned. Stay tuned. It won't be too far away. 
Yeah, we're getting back on track as some people have been like, but I only just listened to that episode. <laughs> like, they're gonna start coming out pretty quick fire now. Yeah, we're all, yeah, we've, we've two weeks left. We're and, looped up now. <laughs> and what, uh, 11 episodes to get through in yeah. two weeks. So. Yeah. Oh, cracking. Yeah, we're in the mood. So, um, yeah. Yeah. See you soon. See you soon. The Michael's Walk podcast acknowledges that the journey they are undertaking takes place on the sacred and unceded nations of many proud Indigenous peoples. From the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation, we are fortunate to call home to each and every Native American tribe's land we'll set foot on as we travel. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and humbly acknowledge their sovereignty.